I love that song, don't you? You know, all of us as human beings are God's creation. We're not all automatically his children. When we accept Christ, the Bible says that we are adopted into God's family. And so every believer becomes a son or daughter of God. And there is huge encouragement and strength in God's presence in our life when we make that choice. And as we were uh, anticipating that song and I was going through things yesterday, I was uh, just kind of distracted to uh, my dad and uh, being his son. And I thought to a letter that I have in my office. It, I have it framed there, actually. It's from June 16, 1999. And along with that uh, letter is a photograph a few years earlier. We were at uh, Cleveland Indian Stadium. And Jonathan was seven. I was 39. Dad was 68. We we're all dressed in our tribe attire. And the letter was one that my dad wrote. I was on a spiritual retreat that last weekend of June in 99. It's called a walk to Emmaus. I think it went from Thursday to Sunday. And the intention of the retreat organizers was that they gathered letters from friends and loved ones and they gave those to you as an encouragement on the last day. And so this is the letter my dad wrote to me. He said, dear Stan, number one son, that's what mom called me, only son, that's what he called me. <laughs> as your dad, I've not been too good at writing letters, but I want you to know that I am one proud, thankful, happy dad because of the three wonderful children God and mom have given me. As you know, I didn't have a happy home as a kid, which makes me doubly appreciative of our home, and you're a key member of our family. My earliest memory of you of a, was of a tiny baby boy with big knobby knees, which suggested to me that you were going to grow up to be a big guy, and you did physically, mentally, and spiritually. And uh, the most common statement people make when they meet me up close and personal is, I didn't know you were that tall because I'm six foot three. The stage kind of shrinks you. He said, I'll always remember your sunny disposition, your sense of humor, your jokes. And he references one of the jokes I was telling at the time. He said, I liked your popularity with little kids in our neighborhood, how you talked Donald Duck talk to them and made them laugh. I can still see you washing your car, doing body work, and two or three kids sitting on the driveway having fun with you. I suppose the thing I love the most is your, in your character is God's call and anointing on your life, your integrity and your devotion to his word and your toughness. This reminds me of Daniel 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God shall be strong and do great things, bold and underlined. Keep on doing those great things. Guard your integrity. Stay true to God. He'll stay true to you. You're also quite a carpenter. He references a, a, a project that I did. I built a playhouse for my sister, A-framed, and he would give me instructions and go to work, and then I'd do the carpentry work that day. So you took after your mom artistically. We still have some keepsakes of your work. Disney characters, love, joy, and peace with a Dove poster. I love items from you that are in my office. A water pump lamp you made in high school. Any other baby boomers make a water pump lamp in shop class? Yeah, there's, there's a few in every crowd, yeah. A leaded glass lamp you sent us from Mexico. The golfer's table lamp that you made from a cutoff golf club, golf ball, tees, etc., and gave to me this Christmas is very special. Busy guy that you are, you found time to make this for your dad. Thanks so much. I must not fail to mention your good sense, your choice of courses, business and Bible. That was my undergrad majors. Your wife, who is such a blessing and helpmate to your precious family and ministry. I appreciate how Joyce makes us feel so welcome whenever we visit. When you get up in the morning, look around you and see what the Lord has done and that Satan is under your feet. Stan, always count your blessings. Be grateful to God and he'll continue to fill your life with sunshine and blessings. As always, with love and daily prayers as long as I live, Dad. He signed that and the, the tragic irony of that is that those prayers as long as he lived ended before I read the letter. Uh, while I was on that retreat, uh, my dad passed away. And they woke me up in the middle of the night on Saturday and I took a call from Joyce. And, and so when I left, they gave me the paper bag full of envelopes and I was ruffling through that while we were driving to Cleveland until I found that letter and read it. And I'm very grateful for the influence my dad has been in my life. And if uh, you were blessed by a good dad and he's still on the planet, don't wait till Father's Day. Text him, call him, tell him you love him, thank him, tell him you're proud of him. And uh, if your dad's already gone to heaven, then say a prayer of thanks today in a moment. But I know that I'm also, and increasingly so, with this generation talking to people for whom you're like, well, you know, that's a nice letter for you, but I can't relate to that because uh, that letter, because my dad wasn't like that. 
Maybe your dad was absent. Maybe you inherited wounds from your dad instead of good things. Well, you can still relate to the letter, just a different person in the letter. My dad wrote in one sentence, as you know, I didn't have a happy home as a kid. And uh, that is a summary of a huge childhood of domestic pain and dysfunction. My grandfather was a violent alcoholic and it split my dad's home up. And my dad and the nine children of his family huddled around their mom. They were divorced way back in the day and they, they had a hard time even surviving and, and their dad was absent. But the difference is my dad came to a relationship with Jesus Christ and found what our partner in Africa calls the Father Heart of God. And I'm mindful of what Jesus said in the Gospel of John that is especially meaningful for those of us who had a great dad or trying to be a good dad, it enhances that. But for those who are longing for a father's love, a father's affirmation, we see how God can minister to you. And, and he said in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And he started that chapter in chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. If you haven't yet accepted Christ, one of the greatest changes in your life is awaiting you because when you accept him as your Savior, God becomes your Heavenly Father. You're adopted into his family. After the service, stop by our VIP room. Tell them, I want to I make Christ my Savior. They'll be happy to talk you through that and pray with you on that. But for those of you that have, rather than a blessing of a father, but a wound or a vacancy and a void, I want to remind you that God doesn't leave you as an orphan. And that you are a son or daughter of God. And as we sang in that song, his heart is good. He is always kind, and he is on your side. I'd like to pause for a word of prayer if you'd bow with me. And depending on how that lands in your heart, if it's an opportunity to thank God for your dad, do so. Whether he is with us or, or not. If it stirs up wounds and longing for a father's love, then remind yourself of who God is and whose you are, that you're his son, his daughter. He loves you immeasurably, cares about you, knows you better than you know yourself, and will never leave you or forsake you. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful that we can sing a song that blows us away, that we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So we're thankful, God, that your heart is good and kind that you are on our side and, and that we're close to your heart. And I pray that each person here today who knows you would sense that closeness, sense the kindness and tenderness of your care and that you never forsake us. Find us and help us likewise to be faithful and true to you. In Christ's name, amen. When you, when you know God, when you accept him, our mission statement is kind of, it goes in, in sequence, if you will, to know God, then we want to be his people. And when God is our Father and we're touched by the, the Father heart of God, it creates in us a heart to likewise be like Him. And I want to jump over to our, our sermon that we're, series we're in the middle of, or at the end of actually. And we've had a formula, me plus God plus faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen yet, plus something else equals possibilities. As I've said, it's a series for possibility-oriented people, and that is how I would describe you and us as a congregation. And so we've talked about me plus God plus faith plus little things plus my Jerusalem. We did taking it to the streets, and it's exciting to hear the creative ways that people are praying about the $20 we gave you and how you're multiplying it, using it, transforming it to bless other people. Me plus God plus faith plus my big yes. Last week we talked about me plus God plus faith plus my big problems. And this weekend I want to suggest two things to fill in the gap. But the first one, me plus God plus faith plus, would you say, a big heart. The possibilities are endless. 
Far too often our hearts shrink, if you will, in this life and culture. But when we are sons and daughters of God, he gives us a big heart uh, that cares about other people. And there is a litmus test of our face. And there, G James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a book by his name, five chapters long, near the end of the New Testament. And he, he tells us, okay, here is the test of real face. And he talks about this is pure religion. So when he does that, it's not religion in the negative sense of going through do's and don'ts. It's actually if you have a relationship with God. And we see in the first point of, of the app, it's the test of true Christianity is James chapter 127. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's getting harder and harder to be unstained by the evil that is just rampant in our world today. But caring for widows and orphans in our distress, pure and undefiled religion is to have that big heart for other people. And he doesn't say, well, you know what, here is the test of pure religion if you go to church regularly. If you have a great devotional life. If you listen to Christian radio. No, you want to know pure and undefiled religion? How big is your heart for people who are in need who cannot help themselves, but you can make a difference? And you might plus two, plus two together if you know what we're about here at CLC. And yes, I'm going to bring this home. I believe that God is an accountability God. I believe that someday I'll stand before him and give an account for my deeds in the body, whether good and bad, and so will you. As believers, our sins are forgiven, but I'm still going to be accountable. And when Jesus talks about that moment of judgment and accountability, he talks about how God separates the sheep from the goats and to the righteous people and the unrighteous people. He has the same standard. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was, I was naked. You clothed me. He goes on down through the line of, of compassion, of having a big heart. And the good news for CLCers is that it is not going to be hard for us to have a response to say, Lord, well, here is some of what I have done in your expectations for those who are hungry and thirsty and in need of clothing to help provide for them and show a big heart. Since 2007, we have been blessed to have a partnership in, in, a, in a nation in Africa that at the time was called Swaziland, and the name changed is now Eswatini. It's about the size of Rhode Island, a million people on the northeast border of the country of South Africa. And three-fourths of the people there live on less than a dollar a day. And it had one of the highest HIV rates on the continent. And 20% of the population are AIDS orphans. And so we went there in 2007, and our intention was we want to find a community. We can build a church, build that church, do holistic ministry in and through that church, and watch the community change over time as we partner with them. And so we built the church and a home for the pastor, built preschools for children to be educated in because if they get a good preschool education, they got a huge leg up on the rest of their academics. And that we would provide for those children and to provide for these widows and orphans, that's why we pack meals. A lot of that goes to a James 127 kind of an opportunity. And not only for the kids that are, that are in our preschools, we have a sponsorship program and that's where I'm heading today. Uh, for $27 a month, 90 cents a day, uh, you can sponsor a child. And we give them, uh, first of all, we, we pay for the expenses of having the preschool and the teacher. We pay for their school supplies. We give them a uniform. And we give them a meal, a healthy meal, every day, five days a week. For some of them, it's the only meal they get on that day. And uh, you can see their smiling faces uh, as uh, we just feature them. And uh, they're excited because they realize they're children of God and they've heard the good news and somebody cares about them. And their life all of a sudden is on a trajectory of hope and opportunity and possibility. And we see this group of kids that are kind of standing there at the fence and they kind of represent those who are waiting to be uh, sponsored yet. And uh, when we started out, we wanted to build a church and see change happen in the community, by the community. That's our acronym if you hear it, ICBC, in community, by community, with the church at the center of it. And how many of you ever had a plan and God did more with it than you thought? Well, we thought we were going to plant a church, and 15 years later, God's used us to help them build 30 ICBC churches. Um, it's exciting. When we met Kevin Ward, our partner there, he said, we cannot create donor dependence. 
And so we've worked hard in about two dozen of those churches within the first two years. Uh, they're financially self-supporting. We help them with crops or honeybees or uh, chickens or goats, whatever the case might be. So the church is self-supporting. And then we sponsor these children. We currently have uh, 805 children as part of the preschools across Eswatini in our ICBC's preschool church, preschools at the churches. And 675 of us, whether it is couples at CLC or individual single adults, 675 households uh, sponsor a child. And we still need 135 to go. Now, several volunteers to sponsor a child last service and last night. So I'm not sure what the actual count is. But I believe that God is going to use us to close that gap and make sure that all 805 kids are sponsored. And so, uh, again, it, let me tell you how it goes, and I'm going to ask our section leaders to help me out. Uh, but it is $27 a month. That's 90 cents. You can't even buy a cup of coffee for 90 cents. And if that's too much, one of our families at CLC, a younger family, said, you know, we will, we will match. If, if, if people will sponsor a child for $15 a month, we'll provide the other 12. So if you want to do it for 50 cents a day or you want to do it for 90 cents a day, I need 135 of you that will say, yes, will you make room in your heart for one more? Knowing that someday we'll also stand before God and we live in such a prosperous, blessed nation, what did we do for the least of these? So I'm going to ask our section leaders if they would stand. And I'm going to ask if you're here right now and there's a tug in you, you know, I can make room for one more. We can, I can make this happen. We can make it happen. Raise your hand. Section leaders, just walk all the way around your, camp, your section. Just walk around. Make a loop. All right? Raise your hand. We're going to do just like we're, we're a concert. Okay, except we're not a concert today. That's what they do. And uh, if you'll make room for one more in your life, in your budget, my goodness, 50 cents a day or 90 cents a day, I can do that. Put a smile on a child's face and help bring transformation to their little stick and mud hut homestead. Keep your hand up till we get you a, a flyer or you can take your cell phone and go to this QR code. I'm getting good at this. <laughs> Boom. All right. Or if you want to do it, just uh, uh, write a check. There'll be someone in the lobby at the table there. Uh, I know Joyce and I kind of just write the check for the whole year. Uh, you can do that as well. If you have questions, you can stop by and ask them. Anybody still waiting to get a packet? Wave at me. All right, are we sure? Anybody else? If you're debating, do it. All right, raise your hand. That's how God works. Going once, going twice. All right, if you change your mind, if you didn't get to it, stop by the table. Thank you for what you do. And uh, like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. I am thrilled that almost seven, over 700 families or households are sponsoring kids. I'm trusting we're going to close the gap. So give yourself a hand for your kindness. Thank you. And so I'd like to edit this a little bit. Me plus God plus faith plus a big heart. Let's add another theme. Would you say compassion? When I have compassion plus God plus a sense of faith, the possibilities are amazing. Understand that as children of God, God hasn't called us. He didn't come to make us healthy, wealthy, wise, and comfortable. That's not the gospel. He called to make sure that we were forgiven of our sins. He wants us to have, know that we have a home in heaven he's preparing for us. And he wants us to love others. And he wants us to make a difference, a God-like difference in the lives of other people. That is really why he saved you. Everything else is just gravy. And so in that, let me give you a definition for compassion. It's the, the second point in the outline that's on the CLC app. Compassion is a feeling of distress for another who is stricken by misfortune or suffering. Oh, my heart goes out to them. Oh, that poor person, those poor people. But it goes further. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. I would suggest that Christian compassion goes one step further. It's not just I was hungry and you felt bad that I was hungry and wished you could do something. It was I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. It is having a strong desire to alleviate their suffering and then responding appropriately. I find compassion from where I sit in observing our culture to be a quality that is fading in our world. There's far less compassion about you as people are more and more focused on themselves. And yet God calls us to that. And so let's talk about what compassion is like. Compassion is like a traveling businessman. 
Let me share with you a story that is very familiar. You've heard it before. I've preached it many times before. And it's important to know the setting. In Jesus' life and ministry, it was not all roses. He had people that were opposed to him that in every crowd that wanted to give him a hard time, that wanted to debate and argue, and not just put him down, but they wanted to put a stop to Jesus legally, and he finally they would take his life. He had adversaries in the crowd. And as he was sharing, he was among adversaries, and there were uh, both legal experts, scribes, there were priests who were the spiritual experts and Levites who kind of tended to the, the, the faith of the people. But, but their, their faith, their religion and laws were woven together through the Old Testament. So they're trying to trip Jesus up if they can catch him, say the wrong thing. And so one of them, not a sincere question, uh, the Bible even says that there was a certain lawyer testing him, stood up, and he said, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, I can summarize the Ten Commandments, the entire Old Testament, in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a second commandment like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can feel the squirm factor kick in there. And so it says, wishing to justify himself, this attorney said, well, who's my neighbor? Thinking if it's the people that live there and there and maybe there and there, I'm good. Now, Jesus raised the bar and made it difficult, and you could, you could feel the tension in the room. And he says, well, there was a certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this man was a Jew traveling to Jericho, likely on business. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 10 in Luke, by chance a certain priest was going down that road. Ha! And the priest all in the crowd are like, yeah. And, and he says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. I'm not getting involved with that. A Levite, likewise, another really spiritual religious person is walking, and a Levite came, and all the Levites in the crowd perk up, and he saw the guy on the side of the road left for dead, and he crossed over as well. Right now, in three sentences, Jesus has offended his entire audience. They are filled with anger and hatred toward him. And then he makes it worse. Because then he says in verse 33, but, everybody say but. So you have failure, failure, but. A Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. When the Samaritan saw him, he felt a feeling of distress for another who is stricken by misfortune or suffering, the man who had been beaten and robbed, left for dead, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. And you can read about how Jesus explained the Samaritan got off of his mount and he went to this man, he bandages his wounds, he takes him then, puts him on his own beast and takes him to a nearby town, checks him with the innkeeper, spends the night with the man, tending to his wounds and his needs, tells the innkeeper when he gets up in the morning, listen, here's money for the guy. If he needs more, when I get passed back, through here, I'll pay you. So he was probably a frequent flyer traveling that road a lot and that he was known to the local innkeeper. Now, you're not really jazzed by that conversation because we lose touch with ancient culture. But in ancient culture, if you want to talk about two people groups that hated each other, well, there was huge animosity and prejudice. It was Jews and Samaritans. Jews called Samaritans dogs, vice versa, wouldn't speak to each other. You can read about it in the Gospel of John. It goes into great detail. And so all of a sudden, this Jewish audience is trying to trip Jesus up, is not only offended that they've been made the failures in the illustration of compassion, but now Jesus made the Sahiro a Samaritan, one of those people. And after Jesus tells the story, he then does the zinger of a question, so which three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said... This Jewish hostile to Jesus attorney said, you'll probably miss the nuance, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Notice the hatred. Notice the prejudice. Notice the ire it was so strong. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. All he said was, well, the other guy, that guy. 
There's a lot that we learn from that lesson about what compassion is from this traveling businessman. Compassion, a need for compassion, can strike you unexpectedly. I would suggest most of the compassion that you express is unexpected. Now, we started this series, but we had the table over here at the Legos, and we pray, God, bless my Cheerios, and bless this day, that would be a blessing, and we have no idea how that's going to happen. I don't say, God, bless this breakfast today, bless me today, and at 1130, I'm going to show compassion. No, it's, it's hard often to plan it, as we see by this story. The need for compassion is also often inconvenient. This guy was a businessman, takes you out of your comfort zone. And it's often with unknown people. He was, he was not a doctor, and yet here is this guy, bloody, beaten up, left for dead. He was a mess. And this guy had to get off of his, his mount, whatever it was, horse, his donkey, and he gets down there, and he's getting all bloody and dirty, and he binds this guy's wounds up, somehow puts him on the donkey, and then takes him to a hotel, spends the night taking care of the guy. That is not convenient, and that is not comfortable. But compassion is often unexpected, inconvenient, and uncomfortable, and often with people we don't know. Show compassion anyway. So compassion is like a traveling businessman. Compassion is also like genuine help to the poor. Now that word genuine I intentionally placed there because it is possible, and studies show uh, throughout sociology, you can help the poor and not really help them but hurt them. And there are abundance of, of, of books out there on that when helping hurts. Uh, one book that literally uh, caused our board and leadership team to stop and really do some self-introspection and change how we did many things of compassion was called Toxic Charity. If you haven't read it and you're interested, Robert Lupton is the author. And he has done a study, I think he's based out of Atlanta, and he concluded, rightly so, backed up by research, that 90-some percent of what churches Nonprofits and government agencies do to help the poor is really not helpful charity, but toxic charity. When you consider the old adage, you give a person a fish, you feed him for a day, give him, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. The goal of charity is not for you to stay poor and needy until next time. The goal of charity should be to help every person who is capable to become self-sufficient in their own life and in their own right. And that's theologically based as well because I believe that every person is created in the image of God. As such, male and female created them, and God is the most creative personality in the universe. If you don't believe it, just look at the person next to you. He made them too. And so giving me creativity and, and creating me in his image, the Bible says further in Deuteronomy that God has given you the power to make wealth, to earn a living. I believe that righteousness properly applied and lived out it's a productive life. We've got an adversary that wants nothing of that. He wants people stifled and stymied, never to achieve their potential. And so it feels good to give a poor person a bag of food, but if all you're doing is giving them a bag of food, that's the easy part. It's how do you look at how did you get there and what needs to be changed and corrected so that you don't need the bag of food because as Paul says, if a person doesn't work, he shouldn't need that you could earn your own. Now, when it's a widow and orphan, person who can't earn that, that's why we pack 600,000 meals and send them to Africa to provide for widows and orphans in their distress. That's why when we met Pastor Kevin, you know, he said, we don't want to create donor dependence. And so that's why we, we, we find a way to provide genuine help to the poor. And so we've redone a lot of what we do. And so as a church, we look for organizations that help empower people that speak to who they were created to be as men and women in God's image and what potential and gifts and skills did God give you and how can we be wind beneath your wings so you can become all that God wants you to be. And so you go to Psalm chapter 72, verse 12. It says, for he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy and the lives of the needy he will save. Now, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, and I've never seen this. I've asked every service. Nobody else has ever seen it. But when it comes to a poor person, a needy person, a person really disadvantaged, how many of you ever saw a heavenly care package, maybe little angel wings, just flutter down from heaven and land in their lap? Anybody? I've never seen that. With a little note, this is from God. 
Do you know how God cares for and provides for the needy? He provides for them through me and through you. Speaking to a compassionate heart, speaking to a heart, a big heart that, that is like, like sons and daughters of God. He speaks to us and works through us in them and vice versa. And that's how God helps those who are needy. And I'm thankful that at Christian Life Center, we don't just say, oh, look at people who are in need, feel bad for them. We say, okay, how can we help them, truly help them, and how can we partner with ministries and organizations across state and around the world who are really doing that and breaking the bondage of poverty and hopelessness and helping people step into who they were created to be? Patrick McKee is our outreach team leader. He's going to share with you about an organization, one of many, that we have found that we partner with and that through your giving, we are partners together to make a difference with compassion. Patrick. Well, church, we know that our mission statement here at CLC is to know God, be his people, value others, and to change our world. One of the ways that we change our world is through your generosity and your faithfulness in giving. We could not do what we do here at this church without your faithfulness in giving. In fact, last year through the God Size Vision, when you tithe to Christian Life Center, we take 25% of your tithes and put it towards our God Size Vision. And last year, we as a church were able to invest over $2.4 million in projects. Yeah, can we give God a round of applause for that? $2.4 million in various projects with organizations and churches in here in Dayton, Ohio, across the United States, and all the way around the world. You see, church, we could not do what we do without you. So when you tithe the Christian Life Center, you are helping to change our world. There's three ways that you can give today. First, if you're here on campus, you can give in the black boxes in the back. The second way is you can give online at clcdayton.com. And the third and final ways you can give to our app. But this weekend is a special weekend uh, because we have some special guests joining us here in service. And um, I'm gonna ask Monty, Lauren, and Jaden to come up with us. Um, can we give them a warm CLC welcome? And Monty is the CEO and founder of the Victory Project, one of the most incredible organizations and life-changing organizations that we get to support. And we are so excited because today you are going to see an organization that is truly changing our world in Dayton, Ohio. So Monty, can you just share a little bit about the Victory Project uh, for those that aren't aware and what you guys are doing and what you are fighting uh, to instill in these kids? Absolutely, Patrick. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you for those who've been serving Victory Project tutors and meal volunteers in so many ways you've helped us. So Victory Project is a faith-based nonprofit. We've been around for 13 years now, and our focus is on providing an alternative to the street for America's youth. And we do that by addressing the pillars of poverty. These are things that perpetuate generational poverty in the lives of teenagers. Those things are dropping out of high school, getting a criminal history, having a baby prior to marriage. And we address that through our three E's, education, entrepreneurship, and enlightenment. And we have the program that follows these core values of undoing hopelessness with godly purpose, model work is the reward, offer love and accountability, and provide a safe and consistent environment. So the young men that come to Victory Project, we have over 50, almost 60 students. Uh, Jediah's here, was one he'll speak in a second. And they come there voluntarily. So that tells you about their character. Because our motto is, it's less about what we do and more about what we undo. Because these guys have already been instilled with, with passion, abilities, all the tools that God's provided for them, they have a purpose in life. And VP can't give them anything. But because of circumstances outside of their control, those, those desires and abilities may be hidden and compacted. So time with Victory Project, we can help undo those things so they can fulfill what God's purpose is in their life. And many, many of them do. And we could not do that without CLC. So thank you very much. So Jediah, will you share just a little bit about your firsthand experience of how uh, really Victory Project has impacted your life? Hi, my name is Jediah. I'm 15. 
I've been at Victory Projects for around six months. I say one of the things I appreciate the most is the Bible study and worship. I've been able to keep a faithful and really just a devote relationship with Jesus. And I also really appreciate the brotherhood. I've made a lot of good friends that I plan to keep. And also the work that we do, I believe it builds good work ethic as well as a good record and also prepares me for the future. That's great. So anything that uh, could come to mind about some of your favorite classes at VP? What's some of your favorite classes? Um, one of my favorite classes is OG, Overall Gentleman. We go, over, we go over things that you should know growing up, like how to make a tie, just in case you didn't know, how to change a spare tire. We do banking classes, things like that that you should know. That's great. And uh, if you have not been to Victory Project, go to their website. You can volunteer. I love seeing CLCers volunteering there. Been there many times, and it is so neat to place the 60 young boys that are in this program in middle school and high school. Uh, the place is buzzing with energy. Uh, VP has business they've started, uh, a landscaping, lawn mowing business, uh, a light carpentry work and whatnot. And as you said, once these guys go through a week of doing their homework and discipleship and connecting together, they get to go to work. Some of them are the first person in their family that is earning an income and has a bank account. It's amazing the transformation happens. And Jedi, I hear you're good at math. Uh, something we don't share in common. Uh, but I also hear you want to have a, a real estate career. And I believe you're probably going to get there. So that's awesome. And uh, there, God's not done with the, the vision yet of VP. So share with the people what's next. Yeah, for sure. We, since we started, uh, like I said, 13 years ago, when I share what God's doing at Victory Project, I get a lot of people that, that encourage us. But one of the questions I get over and over again is what about young ladies? What do you do for young women? And, we, and I tell folks, you know, that's not my calling. Uh, God's not called me to do that. It needs to be godly, a godly woman to work with young ladies. And, but we knew that would happen at some point when God brought the right person along, when God provided the right direction for us. And so we have been focused on finding another location to open a girls' campus. And so you have uh, the right person uh, that is with us, and that's Lauren. Um, but let's talk about the location. So last year, we took our What If offering to help VP find a West location in Dayton. I thought we had a perfect partnership arranged with another church, and their building was going to work out just right. It fell apart last minute. And so literally the VP folks have been looking for a place in West Dayton ever since. Um, finally gave up that idea, thought, okay, we're going to buy a lot. We said, yeah, you can use it for that. And then build it, which would have cost several million dollars. Um, and late in the game, uh, you found out about a church building that was available. I'll let you take it from there. Absolutely. On, your, on the screen, you may be seeing a building that really God provided for us. And what I mean by that is we were about a, half a mile away from this building looking at spending a lot of money to build a facility. And we felt like that's God was calling us to do that. So we were being faithful. But then during that process, we kept on saying that's a lot of money to build, like $4 million to build one building. I'm not sure that's where God wants us. And sure enough, this door opened where this building became available. And it's, so, and, and it's right next to a public school. It is in uh, the Residence Park neighborhood, which is close to like Gettysburg and Hoover. So it's in the community we want to serve. Uh, it's got property. It's got space. And we are so grateful that God has directed us there because we feel this is where God had called us. So we are uh, moving. Uh, we'll have a campus in West Dayton for girls. And that is where Lauren comes in. So let's hear from her. All right. Um, my name is Lauren Stovall. I'm a program director. I've been a program director at Victory Project for a little bit over a year now. Um, and before that, I was a teacher in West Dayton, in the Dayton View neighborhood. Um, and during that time, I was coaching basketball and volleyball. I got to put a camp together for the girls that I worked with. Um, and 
during COVID and during everything that was going on, I thought there's got to be more there than what education can, can provide. And um, I felt really called I, I, to go to Victory Project. I started volunteering there, and God definitely called me there. And I noticed a huge difference. Um, Victory Project was changing the trajectory of family lineages um, in a way that I couldn't do in the world of education. A lot of many of the girls that I coached and that I taught, they were in eighth grade, pregnant, or one of the young men that I taught, he was expecting a second baby as an eighth grader. Um, lots of um, for the girls putting their worth and their um, security and trust and relationships or whether that be boyfriends or abusive relationships or dealing with drugs and different coping mechanisms in life um, and so um, I victory project provides life skills and um, all the ways to kind of help overcome that not just the education portion of it and um, um, I felt called and I really the whole purpose of Girls VP is to teach girls their worth in Christ, who they are, the power and the purpose um, and the plan that God has for them. So. You've heard me say that God made us that righteousness can pass from generation to generation. Well, so can unrighteousness or dysfunction pass. And uh, I have told people that VP is the most effective ministry I've seen in taking young people and changing the trajectory of their lives to become all that God made them to be, young men and now with the Girls Center Young Women. And so that is where we come in. Uh, you found that property, uh, and some of the criteria was a neighborhood where there was high crime and poverty because that's where you feel most called. And so I was in a board meeting, and we talked about the building they found, and Monty's plan was to buy it land contract, pay for it over time. One of the board members said, you know, and in fact, a few of the guys are involved in, in development and whatnot and real estate and, and construction, and they said, I hate land contracts because that can change. You can't count on it. And so the consensus was God has blessed us at CLC, and you heard Patrick say, and you've heard me say, if you're a good steward of your money, you reach a certain size of the church, you don't need all of your funds for operations. So 25% of your tithe goes to the God Size Vision Fund. So we said, let's just give them a half a million dollars to buy the building outright. And so here's a facsimile of that check for that purpose that you have helped to do. You can, you can stay standing. You can stay standing. You'll see why. So then the conversation turned to, okay, well, it's going to cost a half million dollars to rehab. And so we talked and said, okay, take the 220 that you have left from the what-if offering, redirect it to the girls' uh, program. We will add from the God-sized vision that you give your obedient giving, $280,000. So we're also making it possible for them to have a half million dollars to rehab it. <laughs> And so if you do the math, let's look at the slide on the screen, the Victory Project. You have, through your giving, allowed us to give them a million dollars to start the first girls VP on the west side of Dayton. How good is God? Honey? <laughs> this, when we got the call from Pastor Stan, CLC is such a giving church we have people who come and serve. It doesn't surprise me when I get a call from somebody from CLC. There's always something that they want to do for us. They're not asking what you can do for uh, for you guys. They're always asking what you can do for us. So when Pastor Stan asked me to come up and be and talk to the board, I was thinking uh, they're they're going to talk about the money they've given and how how we're going to apply it to this new building. And in this build meeting with our board, they start to slowly as Pastor Stan likes to do, tease it out. Well, the first I was like, where's this going? And then when he said, we want to pay the building off debt-free, I was like <laughs> blown away. And then he said, but wait, there's more. And I'm like, what could there be more? And we want to help you renovate it so you can start the girls' program with no debt. So we can put all of our pro money into programming. So thank you, CLC. Thank you, Pastor Stan. And 
you know, Joyce and I were talking, we were talking yesterday, that, you know, it is so good to be part of a church. We've got a whole team that does research and very diligent to make sure that we invest in ministries that are really going to be effective and fruitful. As a Christian, I want to put money there. I want my money to go there, but I don't know where to find that. I don't know who's really doing life change, who's not. So we're thankful that God has helped us identify partners like VP. And so when you give, it's not just doing things here. It's making changes right where we live, across our city, and around the world. And so we are so thankful. And I have to say, I was saying last night that uh, one of the... The downsides, when I thought that Joyce and I were stepping out of this role in the summer, I was disappointed because I wanted to see a VP on the west side before I handed off leadership. And so it's so cool that God said, now nah, wait a couple more years because I get to be part of this and share in this. And we are so thrilled with you guys. And so uh, with that said, I think I go to the song next, right? Okay, I'm like, there's something else I'm supposed to do? Okay. So I'm sitting in the, the, you can have a seat for a second. You guys can walk off. Thank you. Band's coming out. I'm sitting at the Danny Gokey concert last month, and this song, Every Victory, comes on. And by the time it's done, I'm texting the team going, we've got to do this song, Every Victory, when we celebrate Victory Project at CLC the last of the month. So they put this song together. You're probably going to want to stand back up, but let's celebrate Every Victory is ours. And then Monty's coming back with a special closing for us. So let's celebrate Every Victory.
is one name that breaks bondage and sets captives free, say it with me. Jesus. And we're going to raise that name up across our city. Say it again. And around the world. One more time. Jesus. Monty, why don't you close us in prayer? Please join me in prayer. Abba, Father. Lord, grateful hearts. We are so grateful, grateful, grateful for your goodness, for your protection, for your provision, for your love for us, your grace, everything you provided, Lord. In this church, Lord, it reminds me, and something Pastor said earlier about the fruits of the Spirit, seeing the fruits blossom. And what came to my mind is CLC is not producing fruit of a tree. You're producing orchards of trees producing fruit. There's orchards across this community and across this world that are producing fruit because of what God's doing through CLC. And in Matthew, it talks about you will recognize a tree by its fruit and you will recognize a person by their actions. And that is Pastor Stan, Joyce, and CLC who are people of action. You are people of action, serving God in word and deed. And we are all grateful, Lord. Thank you for this generous gift. Thank you for always being there for us, Lord, in the dark times, the mountaintops and the valleys, Lord. We ask that you continue to guide and bless Pastor Stan and Joyce in this congregation, Lord, because they are doing mighty works for you. And we, we rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, how many of you pledge that when you think of VP, you'll pray for him? Would you raise your hand? That's good stuff, all right? Uh, okay, here's what I want to ask you to do, and I'm going to dismiss you guys down front. I have bragged on you about what a friendly, loving, encouraging congregation you are, so don't prove me wrong, right? Um, I'm asking them to just come and stand down here, and if you don't have to hurry out to lunch, would you take a moment and just let them know uh, that you're praying for them, how proud you are, how thankful you are that we can partner with them. If you change your mind about a sponsorship or want more details, you can stop by there. If you're prayed to accept Christ, stop by our VIP room. Otherwise, I hope you'll be with us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for our monthly prayer service. God is doing some powerful things when we gather together like this and more. So God bless you. Thanks for being a church of possibility-oriented people. Have a great week.